0: welcome to leading the next generation with tim elmore where our mission is to empower the emerging generations with skills to lead in real life Welcome back, podcast listeners. Andrew here, and with me, of course, is Dr. Tim Elmore. How
1: are we today, Tim? I'm good, but you didn't call me the fearless leader. Was there a reason for that?
0: I've noticed a little fear in you recently. Nah, That's the yeah, main reason. That's true, <laughs> especially with the topic. No, we got you're today. still a fearless leader, but it, it does actually, it is funny it that Joe con- yeah. uh, connects with our topic today, which is all about courage. In fact, you um, kind of interestingly titled this, How to Stop Faking Courage and Actually Practice It, Uh, you would argue there's a lot of fake courage going on in our world today. And what I love so much about this conversation is, one, the insights we're going to gain from it, but certainly also the way you set this up with a story that's from the history books, but is a perfect illustration of what
1: we're talking about. Yeah, I love this story. And some of you listeners will have remembered hearing this story at some point, but it's not highly highly known. So it's the story of a man by the name of Josh Chamberlain, Joshua Chamberlain. He was a 34-year-old school teacher from Maine who completely changed the course of American history during the Civil War. Mm. Now, Joshua Chamberlain signed up to help the Union Army up from Maine and soon became a colonel. So he was obviously a pretty natural leader. Yeah. On July 2nd, 1863, he was in a fight for his life. It was the Battle of Gettysburg, we've all heard of that, and it was heated when the Confederates had wiped out most of the Union Army. Josh Chamberlain's troops, get this, had dwindled from 1,000 soldiers to 80. Wow! Somehow his regiment had held off four attacks by the rebel army before they faced a fifth and final attack. Chamberlain had been hit by a bullet and his soldiers had run completely out of ammunition. I mean, I don't know if it could be worse. The lookout boy up in a tree yelled that the rebels had added reinforcements from two different southern states and were marching forward to attack again. One of Chamberlain's officers asked which way he planned to retreat. It was a natural question. Yeah. Chamberlain later wrote about that day in his journal, and I quote, I felt sorry for my men, he said. Their leader had no real knowledge of warfare or tactics. I was only a stubborn man that was my great advantage in this fight. I had deep within me the inability to do nothing. Mm -hmm. I love that statement. I knew I may die, but I also knew I would not die with a bullet in my back. I would not die in retreat. Isn't that powerful? That is powerful. What a good saying. I know. We need it today. And by the way, let me point out, listeners— The reason I want to talk about the subject today of courage and faking courage, I've been guilty of faking courage. Mm. It's so easy today because we can hide behind screens to look like we're awesome, or courageous, and we're really not. Yeah. So let me keep going. Back to Josh. Um, In response to his officer, Chamberlain had basically said, we're not going to retreat. And then he made the most illogical decision that you might assume. He gave a ridiculous order. And I quote, fix bayonets and charge. Now, remember, 80 guys. No ammo. They're about to face hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. Yeah. No ammo. No ammunition in their guns. So it's all talk about fake barrels here.
0: But of course, as a leader, he's thinking they don't know that. That's
1: right. Exactly. So Chamberlain mounted the wall. They hid behind and led the charge. So that's another cool thing. Here's a leader not saying, go ahead, boys, let me know how it's going out there. Yeah. He leads the charge. And then that was when the magic happened. When the Confederates saw the 80 Union soldiers charging, screaming at the top of their lungs, they assumed these guys must be reinforcements. The Confederate army stopped dead in their tracks. Many dropped their weapons and ran. And in less than 10 minutes, Chamberlain and his 80 men had captured all 400 Confederates. The tiny unit with no ammunition overtook the larger fully loaded enemy and won. Wow. Yeah. Wow.
0: And I, I had actually just finished reading a book about Abraham Lincoln and the Civil War, and it, I, I always knew the Battle of Gettysburg was so important, but yeah. this, the the um, Confederate Army had slipped behind their lines, and yeah. if they had lost this battle, likely the Union Army would have lost yeah, the war. That's right. So when you talk about this being one of the most, if not the most, pivotal moments in this war, you'd be absolutely 100% correct. Absolutely. It's amazing what great leaders— with a mindset of victory and a recognition of how they want to win or lose, yeah. uh, that
1: it actually empowers them to step up. This may sound obvious, listeners, but I want to make sure you make at least a mental note. If you're driving or running or jogging or whatever you're doing, make a note of this. One, Josh, the only thing I had going for me, I was a little bit stubborn. Yeah. Sometimes leaders need to be stubborn yes. on the right issues. Yeah, But number two, I love it. He modeled the way. Yeah. He wasn't stubborn and then sent them out. He said... Or we know he led the charge. Yeah. So most Americans don't know this story, much less its impact on history. You just cited one thing, Andrew. Number one, historians believe that if Chamberlain had not charged that day, the Confederate Army would have won Gettysburg, and within weeks probably the Civil War. Yep. Number two, those same historians believe the result would have not merely been a divided USA, but a land split between nine and thirteen colonies. Mm. And this means that when Hitler swept across Europe 70 years later, there would be no USA to stand in opposition to the Nazis. So true. I mean, just think think ahead. And then lastly, it also means that when Hirohoto uh, invaded the South Pacific Islands, there would have been no country strong or wealthy enough or big enough to stop him. Mm. So Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain is a powerful example of genuine courage and bravery. And one decision that day that he made changed the trajectory of history. And he knew it was illogical. And by the way, I, I don't think leaders uh, go against reason. I think they go beyond reason. Yeah. There was reason. I think he knew, even though he wasn't a behavioral scientist, what will this do the hearts of my men if I say, let's go do it? If my leader says that to me, I go, He thinks we could do it. Yeah. Let's go do it. My opinion may not be really valuable to me, but my leaders so, principals listening, teachers listening, youth workers your opinion of those people following you has a big deal. To do with the 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 outcomes of what you're doing, absolutely. Yeah,
0: it's such a great conversation for today because we talk about leadership on this podcast, particularly the next generation, right? But what we have to remember is in all of the things that we think about, as we think about what do kids need and what are we supposed to do for our schools, and I got all these people I got to make happy and all of it. But when it all comes down to it, I think most of us know the decisions that Mm -hmm. need to be made. It's really a matter of the courage we're going to possess as we take those steps and make those decisions. When
1: I have been a follower. On past teams, I follow courage, not positions. Mm, that's the or truth. Titles. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, um, most of us listeners, I think you would agree, are not quite as courageous as Josh Chamberlain. I don't know if I would have led a charge. Yeah, that would have been hard. <laughs> I would have said, so hard. Pray for you, yeah. you know, or whatever, something like that. <laughs> Good luck. Um, we're, because we're logical and we're a little anxious, maybe a little nervous. Yeah. And instead, we run uh, from from fear. Uh, By the way, one of the funniest stories in the world, I've got to insert it here because I have a warped sense of humor. I've told you this story, Andrew. (laughs) I love this story. So so this is a a police academy that's about ready to commission some new officers into the police force. The proctor of the final exam stood up front and painted a picture with his words of a horrendous crisis. Uh, He says to the young cadets, all right, imagine this, you're downtown, major city. First National Bank has just been robbed. And the robbers are running out with bags of money, guns fired into the air. At the moment you notice that, and you're about to run to this problem, you see a woman being mugged right across the street on the other side. She's screaming in fear. Now, there's two things that need your attention. And then a fire hydrant goes off, water splashing everywhere, causing cars to crash. Well, he paints this horrible picture. And then, of course, the, the you know, um, challenge for the cadets is, what do you do in this situation? Yeah, yeah. So one officer after another stood up and verbally said, well, here's what I would do, sir. But the best, most honest answer came from the back of the room. It was a young cadet who stood up and said, what would I do? Remove uniform, mingle with crowd. <laughs> At least he was honest, yes. you know, and I'm thinking, I think there's a few times I would have said, how I'm do just, I get out of this I'm just situation? just going to take my uniform off and say, yeah. how's the day going? You know, what if I a... pretend I'm
0: not in charge? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> that's I'm right. sure our listeners have thought that before. Like, yeah. would it be possible for me to just not be in charge today? Yeah. Uh, yeah. That would be certainly good. So well. I
1: mentioned earlier, Andrew, I, I've not always been a courageous leader. I've been leading now something for over 40 years. Mm. Um, I, I love leadership. I think I'm becoming a better and better leader over time. But I must admit, my humanity overtook my courageous leadership. Uh, I think I began my career as a people pleaser. Uh, listeners, you might be nodding right now, yeah. like you are, Andrew. Yep. I want to make everybody happy. Everybody will vote for me then next yep. year. You know, yep.
0: it's a popularity contest. That's right.
1: Yeah, and so I only appear to be a leader with convictions. Mm-hmm. And when it came down to making a tough call, I sometimes buckled under the pressure of appeasing other people. I hate to admit it, but I just want to tell you, gang, I'm just as human as you are listening to this podcast right now. So let me illustrate a little bit. I'm going to go ahead and confess my sins now before you all. Uh, In my 20s, I was leading a fairly large department, actually the largest department under John Maxwell's organization. Uh, I neglected to step in and confront a conflict between two team members— I should have stepped in, but I thought, oh, no, they're grown grown-ups, they'll, they'll get this, you know. Um, I didn't want to risk being disliked by either one of them yeah. or the people they influenced. It was a faction within the department. So unfortunately, I remained silent and passive while my department split into two factions. I regret that looking back on the 80s. And then in my early 30s, I needed to make a tough call that would be very unpopular among my closest comrades, Uh, that decision would require our leadership team to make a significant sacrifice. And quite frankly, I just wasn't up for the challenge. Mm. I hate to admit it. Again, I failed to initiate and stayed passive. Well, I could go on, but please forgive me if I stop my confessions now and move on. Uh, Many times over my 45 years now, I failed to demonstrate courage in my leadership. I should have made a staff change, and I didn't. I should have taken a risk and spent some money but I was too frugal, Uh, I should have confronted a situation, and I just didn't. And all of those were leadership lessons. So as I look back, let me kind of close here, and Andrea, I'll let you make a comment. I suppose I was merely being human, and to err is human, right? Yeah. So there was my error. But the rest of the podcast, I'd really like to talk about what do we need to do to become more courageous? Well,
0: I appreciate you being open about that, uh, all the things that you just shared. And all of us make mistakes. You talked about your 20s and 30s. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we make mistakes every decade of our life, right? <laughs> yeah. But so many, I think, folks who are listening to this would be in the same place. We can all recount that moment ugh, i should have made a different decision yeah. i should have stood up for that thing i shouldn't yeah. have made that choice that was really the easy choice but i should have i should have stuck it out or i i chose short term gain over all, and then caused long term yeah. pain we've all been in some of those scenarios so i appreciate you being open and honest about it because no matter how great our leadership um, today we all recognize that there was a moment when we needed to learn and grow well tim i want to hear more about um, what you actually think it, it, it looks like to have courage but before we get there let's take a quick break because i want our listeners to hear about what i think is your best leadership book <laughs> that can really help them as they're developing themselves so we'll be right back hey podcast listeners andrew here Leading teams today is more complex than it was a generation ago. People join organizations like yours with higher levels of education, expectation, exposure, and emotion. They also come with a sense of entitlement greater than past generations of team members. This doesn't make them poor workers, just different. Great leaders adapt to lead them well by practicing paradoxes such as displaying both confidence and humility or by being both visible and invisible or how about by leveraging both their vision and their blind spots in the eight paradoxes of great leadership embracing the conflicting demands of today's workplace author and our founder dr tim elmore helps leaders of all kinds navigate the rapidly changing environments that they're leading in by revealing the secrets of timeless leaders who practice unique leadership paradoxes and inspire their followers in a way that a paycheck never could. If you haven't read this book, but you lead a multi-generational team, you have got to pick up a copy. Get your copy of The Eight Paradoxes of Great Leadership today at growingleaders.com store. All right, Tim, we're back. We've been talking about how hard it is sometimes in leadership, whether we're leading the emerging generations or anyone, um, to really step up and make decisions with courage. So walk us through, what is it that you believe and you know about courage that we need to understand if we're actually going
1: to start practicing this thing? Yeah, good question. So um, I'll start with the obvious. I think today our students need us as educators, coaches, and parents to demonstrate authentic courage I think teens today smell fake courage yeah. in in us. Yeah. They smell it. Yeah. So yeah, we may post something. Yeah, great idea. Let's let me give you a like on that one. But they see it they see it in each other and they see it in us. So let me offer one good reason. Consider how it feels to a young person when their let's say older adult leader says charge as Chamberlain did. Yeah. I already mentioned this. Think about those young men, those young union soldiers, 22, 23 years old. Chamberlain, who they respected, said, "Charge, I think he thinks we can do this." Yeah, you know Yeah. I think today is, it's the same thing. Uh, think what it communicates to our students, belief in their potential and faith in them to pull it off. Yeah. So don't ever forget the behavioral science behind what we're saying here, listeners. So I don't know if you want to add anything there. Well,
0: what, what I've been thinking about, I keep coming back to is the story you told of, of Chamberlain, right? Um, he's sitting there with 80 guys, no ammunition. And he's the question he has to ask himself is, how do I put my men in a position to have the greatest possible chance of success? Yeah. yeah. Do you know sitting around and waiting for those guys over there to come charging at us? That's not gonna be that's not <laughs> gonna be successful, right? He knows my best possible chance of yeah. success yeah. is to actually move forward That's right so not only does it communicate belief it also puts them in a position to succeed yeah, right it's and so if true.
1: we would make courageous choices I feel like we would do exactly that for the people we're leading yeah well and you and I talk about this a lot but I think about ending well finishing well mm-hmm. I, I love how Chamberlain said I want to die with a bullet in my back I don't want to die in retreat yeah I think at my funeral I don't need to have anything famous but I want people to say he was charging yeah up until 90 years old he was charging forward. Not, well, he was running fast when they nailed him, you know, that sort of thing. Okay, (laughs) enough said. So today, as we all know, it's easy to hide behind a screen and post something that seems courageous, but leaders realize we can and must do better. Um, I now believe you can't be a good leader without courage. Do you mind if I say that again, listeners? I do not believe you can be a good leader without courage. Peter Drucker once said, when you see a successful organization you know that someone at some time made a courageous decision. Truth. Our leadership role does not usually demand that we do something spectacularly brave every day. And yet when it's time, it's up to us to model the way. I love what Miriam Folsom, uh, who is the architect of our nation's national uh, social security system, it's one of my favorite quotes. Listen to what he says. He says, you're going to find that 95% of all the decisions you'll ever make in your career could be made as well by any reasonably intelligent high school sophomore, <laughs> but they will pay you for the other 5%. I love That's that. That's so good. I love that. Yeah. So recently, Andrew, I was inspired by Pat Lencioni, our dear friend, uh, on one of his podcasts where he discussed the idea of leadership courage. And reflecting on that podcast, I concluded that the most common ways that leaders express courage are are the following, okay? Number one, taking a public stand. Mm. So somehow publicly, the team or more than the team, they take a stand. They resolve to stand for what's right or against what's wrong. Um, I remember when I worked for John Maxwell years ago, he was asked to speak at a huge stadium event. It was an honor. Even for him at that day, it was, oh my gosh, 50,000 people. And I'll never forget, he's told the story. He said while he was... um, it was. I think it was the day before his wife Margaret called him from the road, um, and she said, "Our son, John, really needs his dad's attention right now. He's. I think he was in middle school, and he was just needing extra attention. And John had to make a courageous decision: Do I do do the big event and get a lot of likes, you know? Yeah. Or do I say no and somehow tend to my son? Well, he said no. Mm. He called the guy in charge of this 50000 and he said, I'm so sorry. I'll do something in the future if you want. I've got to tend to my son. John wanted the credibility. I think John believed if it doesn't work at home, don't export it. You know what I'm saying? So he didn't go. And I'm thinking that was a courageous decision. It was taking a stand for what was the right thing to do. Yep. Number two, interpersonal confrontation. I think that's the second way we we show courage. The bravery to confront a person who harms the team or the organization. Um, I remember I just shared with you, I failed with this as a leader, and, and then I remember succeeding. Once I'd learned this lesson with a teammate, I needed to have a hard conversation. It wasn't easy, but it was right. Yeah. It was the kind of thing that I did it, and it was hard, but I could put my head on the pillow at night and sleep well.
0: Yep. Yeah. Those are so hard, because especially yeah. when you're looking that person in the eyes and you're thinking, boy, I don't want to say this to you, but yeah. <laughs> if I don't, things are going to get worse That's for everybody right.
1: else. You do that fork in the road. And That's you go, hard. Yeah. yeah. So here's number three silence when you're attacked. Mm. I think that's another form of courage, the ability to refrain from defending your own turf or your own reputation. Um, I was just talking to a director of player engagement for an NFL team, uh, some good guys there, really building the life skills and those great football players. But he said there was a pro football player on our team that got um, tweeted you know, somebody didn't like how he was playing. And he made the mistake of tweeting back, defending Ooh, himself. Yeah. That opened up a can of worms. You can only imagine yep. that he should have never defended himself. Yep. In fact, when I stop and think. These are armchair quarterbacks in the grand. Exactly. They don't know what they're talking yeah. about. Yeah. But you know how we just feel so I gotta defend yeah. myself. Yeah. It opens up a can of worms and leaders, you're better off letting your own good reputation defend you rather than tweet back or fire back or whatever. When
0: you respond, you give them power, don't That's you? That's true. Yeah. That's what
1: happened. So number four, the last one, self-honesty, the resolution to be authentic about your own flaws and shortcomings. I think we do a pretty good job at that in our office. We we're do, all, yeah. We're all going, man, we're a bunch of knuckleheads with phony baloney jobs, you know. Now, it's a joke, but we, we take our mission seriously. We don't take ourself very seriously. And that's I an important that's, distinction, yes, isn't it? Yes, it is, yeah. Yeah,
0: what four great examples of moments where yeah. courage becomes really,
1: really important. Well, and each of these require decisions on our part, don't they? According to a study of unsuccessful executives— Within 200 firms by the Laboratory of Psychological Studies, by the Stevens Tech Institute, the inability to make such decisions is one of the chief reasons executives fail. Fascinating. It's all back to courage. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So why do we buckle under pressure? I started to ask myself this question. Let me just toss out a couple of thoughts. You might be thinking this too. Why do I buckle under pressure? Well, as I observe leaders, I believe our failure is often due to a couple of things, self-doubt and fear of rejection. So I know something is right, or at least I think something is right, but we doubt our own judgment, don't mm-hmm. we? Yeah. I, make the wrong, I don't have all the data. Yeah. What, if I'm, what if I'm wrong? That's yeah. exactly right. So self-doubt. But then isn't it true? This is a big one today, especially today. Fear of rejection or opposition. We, we, we don't want the adversity that we're about to get. Yeah. So faking courage is our resolution. We know those are all wrong that I just said, but we start faking it. Um, it's easy to pretend to have courage today, as I mentioned on social media, hiding behind screens. I often like to use the word we're slacktivist, not activist. Yeah. come on.
0: I really care about that, so that's I'm going right. to like the comment yeah. or whatever. Yeah, it's
1: so true. And then we also fake courage when there's really no alternative. That's that's fake courage. Yep. I didn't have any alternative, so. Oh charge. Yeah. They back me into a corner. What else am <laughs> I going right. to do? Yeah. yeah. So keep in mind, listeners, we don't like, you know, it's the first two I said, but here's a third one. I think finally, it's easy to fake courage when there's very little to lose. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I got to admit, I, I work with young people, youth, students forever, you know, and back in the 80s, when I was speaking at summer camp and I was asking kids to make a great commitment, they're coming forward saying, I give it all. It dawned to me recently, well they didn't have much to give at sixteen, you know? <laughs> yeah. You give once you're an adult and you got a mortgage payment.
0: That's a big gift. It's yeah. a
1: little bit bigger. So those three are I think scenarios that it looks like courage, but it's really not I think
0: courage. about that sometimes when I listen to or hear about television personalities or podcast hosts yeah. who are kind of brand themselves as I'm standing up to the man and yeah. I'm telling the yeah. truth and all this stuff and it's like You're not going to lose anything from doing that. And so you
1: make yourself sound courageous, but it's really just a trick to get us all to pay more attention to you. This is one of the reasons why I so admire Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. I'm very aware he was not perfect, but he was in prison 29 times. Some of those times, on purpose. Yeah, he had himself. I mean, he he violated. He protested where he wasn't supposed to, or whatever. But he knew he was doing that. He yeah. said, "This can be a model for others to see. I'm willing to make a sacrifice. Are you? Yeah. And so when I even see people protesting today, I want to go. Are you willing to live with the consequences of this? Yeah. Or do you start complaining when you actually have to pay a price? Yeah. I don't know. I. So I'd like to spend the remaining minutes, Andrew. Uh, to, to talk about what does it mean to practice genuine courage. Okay. All right, so let's go. When we succeed on a team with courage, I have noticed it tends to purify the team and energize the team. So like when, when our team sees me uh, willing to do it, I think there's, ooh, he's willing to do it. Or Andrew, you got a department. Yeah. He's willing to do the hard thing. It just purifies that by mm. and then I think it energizes. If he's willing to make that sacrifice, I'm gonna climb in behind him on the parade and and, and march too. Mm-hmm. So um, courage is the ability to demonstrate the resolve to do what it's right when it would be easier to do just the opposite. There's just one problem. Our students need us to model genuine courage when it could be a problem, you know? So I'm gonna offer four steps real quick before we sign off. Let's and do listeners, it. I'd like you to hear these. Number one. I think the first thing I try to do to get real courage going is to get clarity on the essential timeless principles that I stand for. Once I'm clear, I'm okay. Hmm. But if I'm, let's face it, we'll never take a risky step on something we're fuzzy about. Yes. And once we gain clarity, we're more apt to be brave. So identify the principle you deeply believe in before you act. You're going to find that courage sneaks up on you. I love what Roy Disney said. He said, and I quote, decisions come easier when you're clear on your values. Yeah. Isn't that good?
0: Yeah, it makes me think of your habit, too, that you wrote pop quiz, right? Yeah. How do you get ready for the pop quizzes of life? Well, you do the work ahead of time, right? That's right. You read the book, you do the That's assignment, right. all those things. And then when the pop co- pop quiz comes, you go, oh. I'm ready. I'm ready for life. Yeah. Same thing's true in life and decisions.
1: Good. The second step is one, listeners, you may have heard, but I just want to under, underscore it. I think a second thing you ought to do to get courage is ask yourself, what would a great leader do in mm. this situation? Maybe I don't feel like a great leader, but we can all imagine, or we maybe know of a really good leader. I'm telling you, it's powerful. It's powerful. Because you realize, oh, my gosh, I know exactly what they do right now. Yep. Darn it. You know, yeah. <laughs> that sort of thing. So sometimes, uh, well, whether I'm at work or at home or serving in the community, when I ask myself this question, in a difficult situation, my own emotions stop clouding the issue and my selfish preferences are are obvious. I tell you when this helped me during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, remember, we all all the leaders had decision fatigue. Yep. We were making a month's worth of decisions in a day. It was not fun. But I remember... That this really, really, really helped. Yeah. Number three, the third, I think, step that helps us practice authentic courage is break the step we got to do into action steps, smaller action steps. Totally. I get overwhelmed with a big courageous decision, but here's what I got to do today. Oh, I can do that. Yep. So sometimes courage comes easier when I divide the huge brave action step into bite sized chunks. That's really what I'm saying. Suddenly, the right thing seems doable. Several little courageous steps are much easier than to take one big one. It's kind of like eating an elephant. You got to do it one bite at a time. <laughs> I remember writing my very first book that I was asked to write 40 years ago. I, I was honored to be asked, but it was overwhelming. Because I don't I know how to write an essay. Yeah. You know, I had a friend say to me, I don't think I got a book in me. I've got a large brochure. <laughs> you know, That's what I had inside of <laughs> me. So I, um, I broke it down, and suddenly I felt like, I guess I can do this. Yeah. The fourth and final step I want to offer on how to practice real courage is to invite accountability to follow through. I know I'm going to do better if I know someone that I respect and admire is going to ask me if I did the right thing in the end. I'm telling you, it's, it's huge. Um, there's a legend that I've never told on this podcast, I don't think, but I want to tell it now. Uh, it's, it's, it's a fictitious story about the frog that was hopping down the road And the frog suddenly fell into a large pothole, so big, he couldn't really hop out. Mm -hmm. Well, there's traffic coming and going and dipping into that pothole. And he thought, oh, my gosh. So the frog begins to scream to his friends. I told you this was a fictitious story. He begins to scream to his friends, help me out, help me out. Well, a squirrel comes by, a, a little skunk comes by. Nobody's really able to help him. And they go, I'm so sorry, we can't help. We'll go get a bigger animal to help you out. Those animals start running away from the pothole and the frog, and suddenly they hear the frog hopping after them. They said, Hey, you're you're how'd you get out? And he goes, Well, a big truck was coming by and I had to. <laughs> you need to put yourself in a I had to situation. Yeah. And that's what accountability accountability does. So okay. those are my steps, and I'm just encouraging listeners, let's practice authentic courage rather than fake courage for the sake of the next generation.
0: I love it. I love it, Tim. Well, I thought a good way for us to close out after all of that very practical stuff is just to connect to what does a courageous moment actually look like? You were, you've you been involved in many situations, many of them you've recounted to us, but I think back on a really significant moment that happened in your life where courage really required you to do something that it feels like nobody would have done in that same scenario. Um, but I wonder if you might tell that story and we'll wrap up our time with this. Sure.
1: Yeah, this one might sound illogical, but I felt like it was courage at the moment so, Andrew, when I was 30 years old, I was in a plane crash. I've shared this with you before. Yeah. Uh, the pilot crash-landed his private plane in New Zealand just before I was to speak at an event. Well, all four of us on board were banged up badly, uh, but we survived. The others were life-flighted off to the hospital for treatment, but I was bandaged up and I stayed on site because there wasn't room for four of us <laughs> on the helicopter. You were the least yeah. injured of Bye, the— Bye, guys. Have yeah. fun. Tell the nurses I said hi, you know? <laughs> So, as the event approached that night, I think people just assumed I'd pass on my obligation to speak. After all, I was in a playground. That's a very reasonable assumption, (laughs) actually. So, when the host came to assure me it wasn't necessary to go on stage, I had this feeling I couldn't back out. I was hurt my ankle, my rib, my head but I felt like I needed to muster whatever courage I had and to do what I was there to do. I made a commitment, I was still breathing. I felt I had to do it. Uh, by the way, I found out once your way to get the audience's attention, go through a plane crash and get up and speak. They're yeah. listening and writing notes down. I'm yeah. telling you They're what. They're
0: taking notes about how you're hobbling onto stage. That's and right. All them, yes, yeah.
1: exactly. So uh, bottom line, it was one of the toughest moments of my career. I wouldn't wish it on anybody, but I'm glad I did it. And and it made getting on a plane, again, much easier. Uh, I discovered that fear can be contagious, yeah. and so can courage yeah. be contagious. So... Let's go out, as I said, and practice genuine courage. I
0: love it. Yeah, our listeners probably are thinking, I'm not going to be involved in a plane crash. But here's the thing. You are going to face hard scenarios. And I think all the leaders around you, all the followers around you are looking at you and going, how is he, how is she going to handle this situation? And if you still take the stage and say, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm a survivor. I can get through this uh, let's, because, because I believe in where we're going. I think people are going to want to follow that. So, Tim, thank you for those insights. Well, if you are looking for a resource to help you develop yourself in your own leadership, I just want to commend to you a fantastic book from Dr. Elmore called The Eight Paradoxes of Great Leadership. You can find that book at our online store, growingleaders.com slash store. That's The Eight Paradoxes of Great Leadership. In it, he tells uh, eight amazing stories of incredible leaders who practice paradoxical styles of leadership that are actually perfect for the age and stage that we're in. In our 21st century world. So, if you want to learn more, develop yourself as a leader, pick up a copy of that book. Well, as always, if you would rate this podcast, give us five stars on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. We would greatly appreciate it. If you found this episode helpful and thought of somebody you might want to send it to, go ahead and do that. We would appreciate that as well. If you want to connect with us online on social media, we are at Growing Leaders and at Tim Elmore pretty much everywhere you are. And then finally, if you have ideas for this podcast, people you think we should talk to, or subjects you think we should cover, shoot us an email. It's podcast at growingleaders.com. We love getting those. Well, Tim, thank you once again for leading us and helping us become people of courage. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next time.